I built the platform from just a just a simple MP3 RSS feed podcast into what it is today, which is a property with a website and social and YouTube and you know our email list is is about eighty thousand leads strong now, and you know we're we're a media property, you know for the most part in, inside the niche. Welcome to a conversation with John Philpin. Each week, John cuts through the noise and fills your ears with interviews, stories, and most importantly, clarity. Clarity in our ever-changing and shifting world to put people first. Over to you, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are on this planet of ours. If you love that laugh as much as I do, you're going to love this podcast. If you want to learn how my guest took a website from a small streaming MP3 file to a media property that includes a podcast with 2,000 episodes and counting, a YouTube channel, a newsletter with tens of thousands of subscribers, and a community of people from all over the world that pay every month to be part of this phenomena, you are going to love this podcast. If you want to spend 40 minutes as a fly on the wall listening to me talking to Frederick Van Johnson, the owner, the host, the producer of This Week in Photo, you are going to love this podcast. In fact, seriously, I can't think of any reason at all why you wouldn't want to listen to this podcast. Frederick's laugh alone is infectious. (laughs) I am delighted this morning to welcome Frederick Van Johnson to the People First podcast. I've, I've known Frederick for a few years now, not, not quite into the 1900s, but certainly uh, since the early aughts when I was living a different life. And Frederick was running something called TWIP, This Week in Photography. You might have heard of Leo Laporte and what he does with technology. He was one of the first podcasters. Frederick does that for photography. And uh, I have to, have to say, I'm not a photographer, but I always find his podcast really, really interesting. You get some fascinating people. So, Frederick, welcome aboard, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, John. Thank, thanks for having me. This is, this is going to be an exciting chat and a long time coming. <laughs> Certainly a long time. And we'll, we'll try to avoid the topic of chairs. Um, before <laughs> going today, Frederick geeked out on chairs and what chairs we need for podcasting, etc. So, But we're, you're, yeah. you're free. We won't talk about that. Frederick, um, TWIP, T-W-I-P. Tell us a little bit how you got into that, because I know your career started in Apple, if memory serves, and you were doing things within the Apple space. So what were you doing there? And just a little bit about that twist into that as you stopped working for the man and started working for the real man, as it were. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And it's, it's interesting you put it that way. The, the, it's a long and winding road, John. So, the so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'll, we'll start from the Apple part. So, and that's kind of, that is kind of the inception of it because you would think working at a company like Apple, and this was, you know, many years ago, many, many years ago. Um, before they were a trillion dollar company. Um, but it was, it, it was a great job. I loved working at Apple. Apple was kind of 
the holy grail for the nerd, right? To work at Apple where they actually make these things that you obsess over and have a say in the products and all that. So it was a dream come true for a marketing or product marketing person, which is what I was. Um, Ed, but I remember, you know, you, you get you get in this this tug of war kind of phase where you you want to do your job, you want to do make great products for the world and for people. You want to impress your boss and your boss's boss and you know, all the way up the line. And then on the other side, I've always had this thread of entrepreneurialism pulling in me, even for, even as a kid with a with the whole stereotypical lemonade stand, right? I did all that, you know. So that the entrepreneurial bug was always there, but then I'm all uh, was also a very good corporate citizen. So fast forward to about three years into my Apple Apple career. I want to I want to blame uh, Timothy Ferris for this because it was, <laughs> I was literally in traffic. I lived lived literally three miles away from One Infinite Loop in Cupertino, which was the main Apple campus, and three miles from my driveway to you know employee parking. So nothing, right? But traffic made that about a twenty five minute trip, you know, or thirty minutes. <laughs> So, so I remember one day, it was a Monday. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a Monday and I'm in traffic on 280 heading north to the De Anza exit to get off and go to, uh, go to Apple. And I'm halfway there and I'm looking around at the other people in traffic around me. Nobody looked happy. Like everybody was either mad because they're in the wrong lane. This person's feverishly putting on makeup, you know, and this person is just angry and dejected. And I realized that I was one of those people because I was I, I looked at a mirror. I didn't have a happy face on my face either. Uh, I was at the at the time listening to the the four hour work week audio book from Tim Ferriss. And it was at that point where he's just, he was kind of talking about that, what I was experiencing, <laughs> you know, doing, you get trapped and you know, you're doing this thing that you think you love and you're trapped by your mortgage and your car payment and daycare fees and all this stuff. So you can't leave that thing. Uh, but you really know you want to do this other thing. So it was kind of at that point I decided, you know what, I kind of, I need to switch my mindset away from, how do I get that non-existent gold retirement watch, you know, which is gone now? How do I switch my mind away from that and into a mindset of entrepreneurialism while still using my corporate day job as, you know, one of my nacelles to keep the ship moving forward? So mind in my mind, I shifted everything, my mindset from being a good corporate employee to being a contractor. So in looking at my looking at Apple as just one of my biggest contracts, and <laughs> these are the things I need to do to satisfy that contract. So in and, that and Apple, sorry, yeah, go for it. Apple allows for that then because I've worked for companies where if you leave, you're not allowed to contract back. So no, that, that's interesting. No, 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 no. This was just was merely this is all in my mind. This is all in my mind. It was just 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 a. Just the way that I was perceiving the company, instead of thinking of myself as being permanent, I'm going to be there forever, I'm going to get my boss a job, I began to just think of them as a as a contract. You know, even though I'm a full, I was a full-time employee, you know, locked and loaded, but I was looking at it as just another tab in my spreadsheet, right? So, which meant, okay, let's start, what are the other tabs that you need to build? One of them, I knew I always wanted to get into some sort of e-commerce or some sort of online 
type uh, endeavor, mainly because I, you know, anything that's not that for the most part is terrestrial bound. So it's or geography bound. You know, you start up a, a Starbucks in Cupertino, you're the radius of customers is limited. Right. Whereas if you do a digital business, we all know the economics of that. So that that was the mindset. And it was also watching what Apple was doing with iTunes and digital sales there where you create, you know, a couple of megabytes of data and sell it three million times. You know? <laughs> that that was fascinating. That was kind of like alchemy to me. So I'm like, okay, I want to do something like that. So that that was the big bang. That was the spark. Um and then, you know, the, then there's several other steps in that that led to to this week in photo. The the high level of it is I left Apple, joined a startup in Southern California, and then came back to Adobe after that startup got iPhoned. So it was uh the the startup was a was was a company that was building phones with the idea that you could actually get entertainment and apps on them. Right. And then Apple released the iPhone and boom, there you go. The lights, the lights went off. Um, so I went, I joined uh, Adobe at Apple. I was, I was managing or doing the product management for iPhoto and partly Aperture at the time, uh, which is another photo management application. When I joined Adobe, I was the, the senior product marketing manager for the professional photography segment that uh, that meant I, I was basically responsible for the outreach for Lightroom and Photoshop and those relationships and coordinating with the, with the team on the, ne- the next features in Lightroom and, you know, that photographers needed in Photoshop, et cetera. So another dream job. And then uh, I don't know if you remember, I forget exactly the year, but uh, it was when the dot com explode or implosion happened in Silicon Valley. So when that implosion happened, it was literally, John, it was like this. Here's, here's the horrifying picture. Your calendar is Tetris, basically, you know, from, from beginning to end, it is overlapping meetings and this and, and people still trying to schedule meetings, schedule meetings in there. And it was, I think it was a Monday and maybe it was a Friday. I think it was a Friday. So I go in, here's my calendar. And because Adobe is a, uh, you know, multinational company, when you leave work, more emails start flowing in from Asia and everywhere else, right? So when you come into work, you have another full inbox, right? So I would come in an hour or hour and a half early just to scrape out the urgent messages from my inbox so I could actually start working. So it was like that. And then I remember, you know, I'm on my way to a meeting and boom, I get uh, a note of, I think it was a text message from my boss saying, Hey, I we need to I need to meet with you about something important at one o'clock. And I responded, Oh, I got meetings all afternoon. Can we do it after work? You know? And and she's like, No, this is critical. Cancel whatever meeting you have. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So I go up and in the room is my boss and a human resources person and an envelope and a folder. You know, you know the, the deal. So you know the conversation. Yep. Turns out 800 people at Adobe got let go that day, roughly 800. So it was it was, you know, the the hallways were just full of tears and boxes, you know, basically is what it was. People that had been there for decades just got blindsided. You know, I had been there for just, you know, years, you know, a couple of years. And these people had been there forever and ever and helped 
their names were in the credits in the application, you know, <laughs> they're, they're laid off. So, you know, after that, uh, I, I literally decided because I had been a guest host on This Week in Photography at the time um, that my friend uh, Scott Bourne and Alex Lindsay started. They, they actually started the podcast back when podcasts were kind of nascent. Um, they started it, had me on as a guest from time to time as the Adobe guy. Alex and I are friends. Alex is like, hey, why don't you come over? You can, you know, be a semi-permanent host if you want. You know, you don't have anything better to do, do you? It's like, hey, why not? Why not? So thanks for the reminder. Yeah, it was a good reminder. (laughs) And it turns out, so Alex, his company that was that was kind of producing the podcast is in San Francisco. So I was and I was in the South Bay. So I was like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for me to go up to San Francisco once a week and hang out and, you know, do a podcast. And why not? You know, so we did that for a while. And then, you know, through an unfortunate series of events, uh, Leo or not Leo, um, Scott Bourne and Alex parted ways and we're going to shutter the podcast. And I still, I didn't have anything to do. So this was still in that kind of couple of week period post the Adobe layoff. So I said, you know what? Why don't you let, you know, I'll take it over. Just give it to me. I'll take it over until I find another gig. I'll just pour my marketing efforts into this thing. That way, that's sort of my, my gap, right? So if I'm interviewing, I can explain this is what I was doing. I was building all this using my superpowers from Apple and Adobe. Uh, so, but it took off and I, I built the platform from just a just a simple MP3 RSS feed podcast into what it is today, which is a property with a website and social and YouTube. And, you know, our email list is is about 80,000 leads strong now. And, you know, we're we're a media property, you know, for the most part in, yeah, inside no, the niche. It's quite amazing what you've done over those years. Just roughly speaking, in that time, how many podcasts do you think you've delivered <laughs> to the world? At least? Uh, thousands and thousands. I, I would say we're probably, well, let's do some quick math here. How about that? I'm going to bring up the calculator because well, it's I'm weekly. <laughs> it's a weekly show and we are, the show is about 11 years old now. So, so 11 times 52, 572. Roughly. So more than that, though, because it's a, the show itself is weekly, but then there's also the um, the, uh, you know, just kind of the one on one interviews that I do and all kinds of other types of content. So I would put the if I had to put a number on the uh, the number of published MP3 and video files, it's probably around 2000, you know, roughly 2000, 2500, something like that. I have to say, I, I, as you know, I'm not a photographer. I just played one on TV. <laughs> but, but 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 when I watch what you do, and I do I do track what you're doing behind the scenes, it really is a, a very slick operation. I mean, you are, I mean, he's much newer on the scene than you, but you look at someone like Marcus Brownlee, who has really sort of got the attention in that YouTube channel that he does. I mean, I, I look to you, and I think you are that for photography. You're not particularly into one or the other but in the same way as he said, if you want to listen about some new gadgets, he would be the place. If you want to listen about photography, I don't know a better place than what you're doing because you you make it approachable. And that, that to me, is the important thing, right? It's Yes, you, you can geek out. I mean, you can geek out about chairs, let alone cameras. <laughs> but but, but the, the, the fact you can open your mind and, and show people that don't know about photography the way through and just sort of the, the human stories that you bring into play, I, I've always liked it. It's been, been very, very good. Thank you. So now you're a media empire. <laughs> yeah, with a lowercase e. <laughs> 
And you and I are on a you're a lot further along than I am, but you're on a similar journey in terms of the community that we're we're trying to build. Um, and both coincidentally, we've landed on this thing called Mighty Networks. Enough of that for the moment. We'll come back to them. But what what was it initially? You're doing this podcast. It's really successful. You've got people all over. You fly here. You fly there. What made you think I need a community to begin with? Yeah, I mean, why would you do that? Yeah, well, it it was mainly to support the podcast because the the idea, which has since morphed into something completely different, which we'll talk about, the initial idea for the This Week in Photo community was to serve as an area for people to continue the conversation about the topics that were happening on the show. And I would invite the guests that were on the show to come hang out in the community. And, you know, so my listeners could have kind of a, a, a more personal relationship with the people on the podcast versus just this, you know, MP3 file. And now they're gone into the ether. So that was that was the initial idea was just to serve as a as a place for people to coalesce and talk about the topics on the show um, outside of Facebook. I didn't want to do it on Facebook for a variety of reasons, security uh, monetization, trolls, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just did not have a good feeling about Facebook or any of those types of platforms. So I wanted to do it on something different, hence where we are. Got it. Okay. And and how long have you been working on building that community so far, would you say? About three years. So, and it's, yeah, years. it's gone through a couple of iterations. It, it started, when the idea started, I had a couple of uh, tentpole requirements in place. I wanted I wanted a troll-free community and I wanted basically that was it. I wanted a troll-free easy to use community and all most of the decisions I made were solving for that. Um and that meant the main the main way to eliminate or reduce the the troll population in a community is to charge for access. So I put a price tag on it when I launched it, it was four dollars and ninety ninety nine cents, so five bucks a month, which is just enough to get the credit card out and reduce all anonymity to zero. So that was and that's been amazingly successful. No trolls, and if there is some sort of you know uh, conflict in there, it's easily resolved because everyone in there are adults. You know the community in there is much like us, you and I, or your audience. You know, kind of in that that kind of genre of adult people. So um, that was, that was the, the main reason for starting it. I started it on a platform called Slack. You may, <laughs> you may have heard of. So Fine yes. I wrote about it just the other day. Coincidentally. Oh, really? yes. <laughs> yeah. So I it did. turns yes. out there's some third party services that let you monetize Slack and put a paywall up in front of a Slack group. So I was doing that uh, quickly realized that because we're a photography group, Lots of people share images, which turns out use data. And that's how Slack makes its money is charging for data above a certain amount on a per user basis. So uh, it became untenable. So I had to migrate to basically where we are now, which is Mighty Networks. So you went, you went from nothing to Slack to Mighty Networks was the journey through. Yeah. Kind of. So yeah. from nothing... So there was a false start back. Uh, the The community side of it was happening earlier. I tried. I had a false start with it where I installed some bulletin board software. Uh, I think it was it was it was a basically a WordPress plugin. 
Um, so I installed that on the site many, many years ago and tried to have a go at it and didn't have enough time or knowledge about community operation and building to manage it properly. And there was no paywall. So you can guess what happened. It became rife with trolls and spam and hate speech and pornography and all that. So I just turned it off and deleted it. Uh, so you, you, you've learned the lessons that uh, is starting up a community now. You know, I put up my uh, network maybe about three or four months ago in terms of real things. And uh, I knew, like you, definitely not Facebook. Uh, and the complexity of WordPress, um, you know, I like WordPress because I know my way around it, but I also know how far I can get before I need help. <laughs> and, and plugins and extensions and paywalls and things definitely sort of switch that off. So, so and and I seem to recall you. Yeah, in fact, I, I don't just recall it because I listened to it. You um you actually interviewed uh, Gina from the CEO of Mighty Networks back in the day. So so and that was on your podcast. So um you just rang her up and just said I want I want to focus on you. No, not quite that simple because I didn't know her. I, I think I sent an email. You know, they have a, the press link at the bottom of their site. And it was completely self-serving, John. So it was, oh, yeah, it was, I'm thinking about using that platform. I have questions about it. I wonder if I could interview the CEO of that since I do have a podcast. So I use the power and the weight of the podcast to work through their PR people to get an interview with the CEO and then ask all my personal questions, you know, which is, <laughs> why not, right? So you got your answers and the podcast for free. Exactly. Yes, you talk. Why not? <laughs> And so, so now you're on the community, and and you each. Am I right in thinking that each podcast you're now still continuing to do what you did, which is um, grab you know whoever it was you were talking on the podcast, bring them into the community, and have that conversation? That's still going on. Uh, no, not exactly. I do it more of on a on a select basis, so it no longer. The community has some forward momentum now, so I don't really need to kind of keep priming it with, "Hey, come see this person," you know. Um, the community is now a, a full-fledged community that stands on its own. The the folks that come on the show, if it's appropriate for them, appropriate in that, you know, I feel like they could add additional value and they will contribute to the community, then I'll invite them in and I'll pro- I usually comp their membership and they, you know, come in and hang out. And it's also good to see those names in the membership list, you know, like who's in here and, you know, the, the high-end photographer or or famous photographer names showing up in there that, that never hurts the membership. Uh, but, but, the the negative part of that is as you've probably you know this better than i do of course is when something is free there's that there's there's very little value or weight placed on it so and that happens even on the high end with celebrity photographers if i invite them in for free well great i got something else for free and they come you know they'll come in once or twice and then not interact or engage or be responsive so as a result, over the time I've been running the community, I've I've made the decision to be very selective about the people that I bring in on a comp basis. And sometimes I'll even do a uh, an event or bring them into one of our weekly events to to do a presentation or something for the members only if they're up for it, just to get them kind of familiar and you know seeing that there are real people in here that are real photographers that represent your 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 audience so and that that seems to work better 
Yeah. So it's a really interesting journey. And I love that sort of that, that tipping point moment sitting in the traffic. It's sort of kind of like that um, scene from Office Space, if you remember, at the very beginning, mm-hmm. when they're all sitting on the LA highway and looking at it and the old man on the thing is just walking past everybody. Um, that's what I had in my mind when you described it. But but that's that's a journey that, that to a certain extent, you identified that's what you wanted to do. But it kind of took a shake, a shock to your system to get you out, right? So you're very happy at Adobe. And really and truly, why would I go anywhere else, much as I've got the stream over here, but then you were shocked into it. And then on top of that, a certain amount of luck that you've got a buddy who's running something you want to do, who then wants to go away. So so it, it's, it, and then I'm, I'm highlighting this because um, I've just recently written a newsletter around why do you work? And it, it basically it's saying, why do you work? And if you could do whatever you want, we didn't have to think about money, would you carry on doing what you do? And and it's just then I'm collecting feedback from this and we'll be putting answers out around it. And coincidentally, I was listening to a podcast just this week with a couple of tech guys who are independent developers who occasionally go work for the man, then come back out. They both want to be indie, but how do you actually make a living out of being indie is the question. And I think it's the question that is in everybody's minds that, that sits there, this, this idea that I, I want to do my own thing. I want to follow my passion and dreams, but I've actually got this pain. How do I get that amount of money to keep the lifestyle I want from, from this particular thing here? Any, any words of wisdom from you around that, apart from you know, just be Frederick? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend work. that. <laughs> Would not recommend it. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's a really, really good question. The 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 question of if money was no object, would you continue doing what what you're doing? And I would say yes. For me, I would continue what I'm doing. It'd be there'd be less pressure, and there'd be different things that I could do that I'd have the ability to you know, to implement that I can't now because of you know revenue constraints or time or whatever. But the I would absolutely still be a photographer in my mind, John. I have a I have a um, kind of a a projected avatar of the version of me that I would like to be, right? The holy grail version. Uh, I think this came from many years ago. I read this book called Cycle Cybernetics, and it was it was talking about kind of the pre visualization of success and and how you visualize what you want to be in the universe, then kind of manifest it. It was that kind of that kind of sciency psychological kind of book. Um, but it's one of the key takeaways was that I, I had kind of the epiphany moment of, okay, yeah, you're working, you're doing all this stuff. You're having a good time meeting people, traveling, taking photos and all this, but what is it that you want to be? Like what, what is the final version of you that you'd like to see up in lights when you pass away that people say he was this thing, right? Uh, so mine, you know, there's a lot of detail in it, but mine is I want to, I would like to be, uh, respected in the industry that I'm playing in, which is photography, respected as both a thought leader and an artist in the industry. I would like money not to be an object. I don't have a, a dollar amount where I say, you know, if I have $50 million in the bank, 
that's it. That's my number. It's there is no number. It's it's an amorphous kind of wall that if I reach into it and pull something out, I have some money. Right. So if I need money to do, I don't I never the, the my concept of money is I never want to have to worry about getting the thing that I want or need. Right. I don't want to have to say, well, well, one day I'm going to go buy that particular car. You know, if things go right, I'm going to get that car or one day I'll live in that neighborhood or one day, you know, I want that to just be a a foregone conclusion that I can make those things happen regardless of what the dollar amount is. So. That's kind of the picture I have of me. The The future Frederick travels a lot. He does workshops. He's still running TWIP and it's going like gangbusters. There's multiple revenue streams from the membership, from course sales, from uh, running the workshops, events, virtual and terrestrial, you know, all kinds of things like that all gel together. But at the top of it is this photographer guy that is respected for his work and because he knows a thing or two about photography and you know a branch of that is also that guy also does similar things about podcasting and community building so there's kind of that's the other side of the coin right one side is the photography genre world and and niche and you flip it over and it's all of this stuff it's podcasting and video production and community building and all that so yeah i mean it, it is interesting actually for i i know photographers are natural geeks i mean yeah. uh, again the, the geeking out that can go around a body and then the lenses and the flashes and the filters oh and the tripods and da, da, da. and it's just got worse better i guess over time in terms of what you can actually do yeah and so to a certain extent this whole world of rss streams and podcasts and recording is in some respects a natural extension of the geekiness that you can do, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I, I know when I'm doing podcasts with people, if they've never done one, you know, I have a little check sheet that I send them saying, make sure you go through all of these stages. I know, I, you, I don't think I even bother sending it to you. I know that's not needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it's extraordinary when you listen to people on the television as everybody's in lockdown, professional actors and presenters with really bad light, yeah. with really bad yeah. sound, and you're thinking... <laughs> you really not know how to use a microphone at all? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, a whole, I think there's an entire industry just being microphone setter up for <laughs> people doing calls. <laughs> I have no awesome. idea, but really does drive me nuts. But yeah, <laughs> it's true. It is. It's true. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was one of, I'm glad you noticed that. That was one of the things I noticed at sort of the beginning of the lockdown or the first lockdown when these, all the celebrities started showing up, the, mainly the, the night, the late night talk show hosts were showing late up. night talk shows. Yes. Yeah. We're a shambles. We're a shambles. Days, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, Amazon, you could buy, <laughs> You can buy everything you need and have it there overnight and look great. So my my theory was they were that maybe they're prohibited from looking too good because the you know all of union oversights or whatever. If you sound too good, oh, then the union may yes. get mad because they didn't set up your microphone or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness, there might well be something like that. Uh-huh. But but even now though, it, it's the guests, right? So they get sort of some actor on from. In fact, they had. Uh, I was listening to Colbert the other day. They had um, Hugh Grant talk. Uh, not Hugh Grant. Uh, the other one, the the one that did the Doctor. Anyway, they had him on, and really echoey sound, blurry picture, you know. Plug an iPhone in. It's got a good camera. It's okay. It's it's amazing. (laughs) It's 2021. (laughs) (laughs) 
But suffice, suffice to say, the journey of Frederick is ongoing and continuing. We still have that avatar on our, 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 our image and headlights. Yep. Um, I'd love to get from you after what that book was, because that sounds a really interesting book, and I'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Um, and, and all the time, it, you almost imagine these, you know how you get these pictures that morph from one to the other, and mm-hmm. I've kind of got Frederick halfway through, and there's this, still this morphing going on. Yeah. So brilliant. And I, I just, you know, what a great story. And I think a lot of people listening will sort of feel empowered that, yeah, I, I can do this without having to have the jolt that you got. You know, everybody gets the jolt. But um, as I say, though you inherited TWIP, TWIP today is light years beyond what it was then, yeah. uh, light years. But, so it, it's it's like saying, I, I got, you know, I inherited the baker's shop. And before you know where you are, the fact you've got 200 bakers around a country is is kind of what you did. It's not, yeah. you know, it, that's the equivalent, I would argue. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add for our finalists? Is any advice or thoughts that would uh, you like to share with the listeners at large? Yeah, yeah, a couple of things. I would say... You know, from, from and I'll, I'll take that from from two different angles. First angle would be from a being genuine standpoint for for a podcast, like you say, like a podcast like this or a video or any other kind of content. If if anyone in your audience is a content creator, I would I would caution against trying to build a persona of someone that is not genuinely you, and mm. and trying to do something long-term based on that. You can do that short-term, but a long-term proposition, like a podcast or something, you can't build a persona of a fictitious person and pretend to be that person or be fake. You know, it's hard, but it's important. I think especially in online, in online these days, it's very important to be true to yourself and be true to the audience. The other side of that is the, the curiosity like i am a i'm an inherently constantly curious person like i want to know about all kinds of things mainly geeky stuff photography and you know computers and all that and that's that's an endless source of of creativity and whatever fodder for me to learn from there's always a new technique to try out and always a new facet of lighting that i now finally understand decades later you know so there's all these things that are ongoing but if you don't have that spark of curiosity whether you're you're an entrepreneur or you're a content creator or other then it's it's I find it very hard to get into something. It's kind of like in school when you're in high school, there are certain subjects that you loved and you excelled in and the ones that you hated, you phoned it in. Right. Because it wasn't really you didn't really want to be there. You're like I had to get through this class to get to the next one. <clears throat> so to the extent that you can maintain that fire of curiosity, I think that that little seasoning comes through in your work and that passion. Even when I'm interviewing people like you, I interviewed you years ago, right, John? So when, 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 when we do, when I do those kinds of interviews, it is not, okay, here's a list of questions. Let me research the guest and figure out these five things I'm going to find out. It, I, I very rarely make pre-notes before I go into an interview yeah. because I am genuinely curious about that person and how they got to where they are. And that's where my questions come exactly. from. I'm like, okay, I have the opportunity to sit down with John Philpin. We're going to, we I'm going to find out 
how he's doing this stuff and how he made this this business so successful, you know, those kinds of things. Yep. So that, and that's where the questions come from, uh, just a pure point of curiosity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's um, uh, and I, I do remember the one question: Why are you still using Flash? Because that was a big issue in those days. I, <laughs> did I, I ask I that question? That. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, and, and I and I and you should have as well because there was no good reason. And and they finally got out of it. I think about six months ago. But anyway, yeah. Um, but just going back to your in curiosity, I will also give another little personal story just for everybody. Uh, when you and I met in Menlo Park years ago, now after that interview, but some years later, and you had with you two things that stick in my mind. One was you'd obviously been talking to somebody, and you had in your car a little device which was your own personal Dropbox. It was rather than putting the stuff up into the cloud, here's your device, you've got it, and that's it. Yeah. And I had a long conversation with him. I mean, there are many of these devices around these, but this is so long ago, it was like, whoa, Dropbox, so you don't have to, oh, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. So there's one little piece of curiosity. And, and again, part of it with you is I got bazillions of images do I want to trust them to the cloud? You know, here, I've got them all here. So mm-hmm. no idea what happened, what even that company was. The other one, in, in the drawer behind me, I have an old iPad, and the iPad has a cover around it, and that cover came recommended by you. You and I were riffing. The iPad thing had recently come out, and I was just going on about the stupidity that you're paying as much for a cover as you were for the iPad that you were going to wrap it around in. And yeah. you said, you should go to, and again, the name, you should go to, blah, 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 and you will get a great cover, 25 bucks. It was a great cover. It's still wrapped around the old iPad, which barely gets switched on because it's it, better as a paperweight these days. Yeah. But, but there's two examples of that curiosity and inquisitors that you share. And thank you for that. Both, both you know, the, the uh, I never got the iCloud in the uh, or the Dropbox in the uh, device, but uh, yeah. the cover worked well. Thank you very You're much. You're welcome. You're <laughs> welcome. You know, one one thing that that I would also throw out there is. That you know, we we talk about that thirst for just just being curious all the time. There's a danger that I see a lot in the photography industry, usually with older photographers, unfortunately, and that's the that's the 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 idea that you found a process that works and you're going to stick to it and defend it at all costs. Whether hey, I found I love I have bought a Fuji camera and I know how to make amazing photos with this Fuji camera, therefore. Anyone not using a Fuji camera is not smart and I'm going to tell them so and I'm going to defend my purchase and I'm not going to entertain any other camera bodies or software other than what I'm using or processes. If you get in that rut, it's very it's almost like an eddy, right? It's it's very hard to get out of that. Uh I try to stay out of that. I get stuck in that too, you know, because path of least resistance. But the curiosity should overcome that eddy and make you think, hey, maybe there's a different way that I could be doing this. And I think part of in the photography industry specifically, maybe in other industries as well, but in the photography industry, people get very brand loyal, like very, very brand loyal, like almost to a religious standpoint about Canon versus Nikon versus Panasonic or Leica, you know, when the, which is, which is very weird. And it's very unique to the photography industry because no one cares other than other photographers, what you're making your images with. They just care about the image. 
Right. So it would be That's like right. chefs complaining about, you know, or obsessing over their particular brand of knife or oven because this one's better than yours. Therefore, I'm a better cook when who cares at the end? It's did the person sitting at the table get satisfied? So yeah. there is something around cameras, though, unless it's changed. But certainly back in the day, if you started investing in one of those manufacturers lenses that fitted onto camera, have a range of lenses, you now are kind of stuck in that ecosystem. Has that changed these days? So if I've got a pile of Nikon lenses, it'll work with the Canon or vice versa? Um, yes and no. The, you can, you can purchase adapters to adapt most any lens to any body, but when you adapt, you lose certain functionality, like I, maybe autofocus or, you know, something like that. So it's never a one to one. The manufacturer OEM lens is nine times out of 10 the best solution for a body. But if you want to switch, there is a path forward, right? Until you, yeah. until you switch. Yeah. It. So, it, so, it, so it sounds like it's a bit easier. I mean, the, the, the one in my world is, you know, are, are you windows or are you Apple, that, that kind of yeah. debate and battle. Yeah. And, yep. you know, also I, and I've got, I, I'm an Apple person personally, but, but, you know, knock yourself after you want a windows. What I do not understand is people that live in all of those environments mm-hmm. that they have a windows machine and a Samsung lens and an iPod here and a, and it's like, you're, it's not the device, it's the system that yeah. makes it valuable, yeah. right? My, I'm locked into Apple because I have services that connect and work together, kind of like the ecosystem of a camera. Um, but again, like you, it, it's like, you know, what, whatever you want, I'll give you my reasons for being, but I'm not trying to convert you. Never, never will. So, uh, yeah. but that is really interesting. It definitely exists. We used to have called it, what, NIH, not invented here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Part of my career, actually, before I went to went to Apple, I was at Yahoo. I was one of the early employees at Yahoo. And uh, I was at Yahoo. (laughs) I just had this conversation earlier today. It's so funny. I was at Yahoo during the time when they had the opportunity to purchase eBay and they turned it down (laughs) because it was the not invented here syndrome. Like you, you mentioned that, Hey, we have brilliant engineers, best money can buy. We have traffic. Why don't we build our own, you know, auction site and call it Yahoo auctions, which failed of course. And eBay is still going strong over there. Uh, I remember when there was a rumor going on inside the company at Yahoo, that there was talks about them purchasing Disney. (laughs) Yahoo was going to per- it was it was imminent. I think it fell through at the last minute because one of the founders, Jerry Yang or David Philo, maybe both of them, um, had this internet first mindset where everything in the future is going to be driven by the internet and terrestrial things like theme parks and TV and all that stuff that's going away. Therefore, Disney, your main assets are TV networks and theme yep. parks and all this other stuff. We don't need that. We're Yahoo. We're going to build our own. We're the, you guys are old. We're new. We're going <laughs> to. And of course, well, how did that we work out for won, you? Yeah. You know, who, who bought Marvel <laughs> and who got bought by Verizon, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Verizon, that, that bastion of the open internet. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Sebastian. Oh, Frederick, this, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so very much for your time. Um, I, 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 
I was going to say we've been talking. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but normally I do this in two parts. I don't even know where to cut it. It's the flow. It's going to be one big giant one. Thank yeah. you so much for coming along. Very much appreciated. Great to catch up. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime you want me to talk your ear off, I'll be back. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Edward. We look forward to you joining us next time. And if you found this interesting, please do share the podcast. All the links referenced today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate in connecting directly with John Philpin. Stay safe and stay well.